Coming up this week, Joanna Penn is back for the second part of her interview, this time talking about the running of an author business. Plus, we have Lex Chase, who's here as part of the 2016 GRL Blog Tour. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome to episode 45 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com. And I'm Will from willknauss.com. Welcome to another week. Indeed. Week 45 of the podcast. Week 45! <laughs> you can start doing bumpers for us like that. <laughs> That's okay. I think, no. I, okay, never mind. I take it back. Forget, it. forget that. Um, so. Writing stuff? Writing stuff. So Let's talk about your writing stuff. All right. So this week, uh, my writer's group met. Uh, we're getting back into a more consistent routine after the summer kind of had everybody doing their own stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, they read the first chapter for Codename Winger Book 2 this week. And I like their feedback this early point in the process because they're one of the only people, the set of people who've read the first entire book. Yes. So they can really you know see how this first chapter fits into the universe as it currently stands. Got some good stuff, some ideas on some things to tweak that might be a little too much for a first chapter. Uh, in terms of what kind of action sequences I have going on. Mm-hmm. So, things to think about, process a little bit. I'll set that aside, work on some other stuff. Because uh, one of the other things I did this week was to plot out uh, the Hat Trick 3 spinoff uh, with that youth hockey team. Uh, many whiteboard markings were made with many colors to cover all the aspects of the plot that's going on there, but I'm going to start writing that this coming week. Cool. Yeah, the idea is to have the first draft done by the end of September. Mm, that'll be good. It's a little ambitious. We'll see if I can make that work. Cool. All right. We look forward to it. Yeah. So we've been watching the Olympics this week, like most of the rest of the world. We have. Yes. Um, <laughs> as this uh, episode goes live, we'll, we, we will uh, the Olympics will be uh, will be about two thirds of the way through. Uh, we're actually, I think it'll be closer to half. Heading no, actually, uh, I think we're uh, coming into the home stretch now. And um, I wanted to just bring up uh, some positive things about the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Uh, here on this show, we try to remain positive, uh, and there are many negative things we can certainly say about the Rio Olympics and the uh, coverage here in the U.S. by NBC. I miss ABC. Oh, fuck. I swear to God. Those of you who are of our age, uh, at least of my age, remember when ABC had these Olympics. Enough said on that because they were awesome. Then. Um, suffice it to say, <laughs> if you live anywhere else in the world, there is a 99.999% chance that your television coverage is better than ours. Indeed. Uh, sucks hard. Not even a joke. Anyway, so... Before you you jump off that, (laughs) the one thing that I'll say that I read that was interesting, uh, and I wish I knew the source that gave it, is that we tend to treat the Olympics the way they're broadcast here as if it's reality television, rather than coverage of a true sporting event. Treat it like a sporting event, folks. That's what it is. Mm. Um, What is special and wonderful and unique about this particular Olympic Games is... Depending upon the news source, there are between 
42 and 49 uh, uh, out Olympic athletes mm -hmm. competing at this games, uh, which is phenomenal. It's yes. amazing. Yes. More out athletes than ever before. Um, now, 44 to 49 athletes uh, is actually only a teeny tiny percentage of the uh, roughly 11,000 athletes Ooh. that are competing in Rio. But still, uh, it's it's more than ever before, uh, and we appreciate their uh, contributions and their accomplishments. Now, of those uh, 42 to 49 athletes, uh, only 11 of them are men, which means the sisters, the lesbians, are killing it. Indeed. <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> some of the stuff that they are accomplishing so hats off to the lesbians you're wonderful you're amazing uh i think most everyone who's even you know uh casually watching uh the games has seen the uh pictures on social media of the lesbian rugby rugby player and her girlfriend who proposed to her uh on the field after a game, mm -hmm. uh, which is fucking amazing. Uh, I mean, that's like the end of a Hollywood movie. Congrats to the two of them. Uh, so uh, hats off to the lesbians. Um, of those uh, 11 out, uh, out male athletes, I'm, I'm having a tough time talking that's okay. today. Uh, this is not my day. Anyway, of those 11 out male athletes, none of them are from the U.S. So... Uh, we still got a way to go here in the States when it comes to uh, being out in sports, period. That's very true. Yeah. yeah. And congrats to out hottie Tom Daly on his... He's won at least the bronze so far uh, in Tom, synchronized diving. Tom won a bronze with his partner Daniel Goodfellow uh, in synchronized diving earlier in the games. Uh, in the next couple of days, he'll be uh, competing by himself. Uh, so hats off to that young man, um, yeah, yeah. And his boy and his uh, are they married yet? Him and Lance, uh, Dustin? no, Dustin Lance Black and uh, Tom Daly are currently engaged. So his fiance was right there watching. He, they got a couple glimpses of him on NBC, but didn't you say who he was. It was uh, they're having a fine old time. If you're uh, following either one of them on social media, it's very true. They're having fun in Rio, and uh, congrats to them. Uh, and I'm sure Tom's going to do very, very well in the uh, individual event yeah. coming up. One of the things I wanted to just touch on that I saw on social media yesterday that's not really, doesn't really uh, connect to a gay thing at all, but there was, uh, this happened. Does, what do you mean it doesn't connect to a gay Sorry, thing? Sorry, but it doesn't. <laughs> but, you know, as, as someone who has played sports and been through sportsmanship on all sides of things, there was a tennis player, and I wish I had written this down because I can't find it again, but there was a tennis match happening between two countries. Neither was a U.S. Um, this dude served. The ump called it out. The linesman called it out. The player that he was playing was like, that was in. You should challenge that. Called it across the net, told him you should challenge that. And the ump's like, what? And the player was like, are you sure? <laughs> it's like, yeah, challenge that. It was in. Uh, they challenged it. The, well, his his opponent challenged it. It sure enough was in on video replay. This guy lost the match uh, in the long run. Who told him he should challenge it? But good on him for you know standing up for sportsmanship and for doing the right Olympic thing and saying, "Hey, that was that was called wrong. You should get that called over." So whoever you were, good job. 
Because <laughs> that's good. That's good stuff for all the kids who are watching to see that happen. Yes. And in honor of the Olympics this week, uh, we're going to do our big GRL blog tour giveaway. Word of the week is gold. Mm. Because I believe, at least as we're recording, I think the U.S. is still leading in the gold medal count. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Put that into the raffle copter for this GRL blog tour giveaway we're doing, and you'll get your bonus entries for the week. Yeah. And where can they go to do that? BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Show notes for episode 45. Awesome. Yes. Um, I've read a couple books. Mm-hmm. In the last couple of weeks, you're, um, you're kicking my butt in the reading department. Mm. I am, uh, just so everyone knows, I am reading. Uh, it's summer is my slow season for whatever reason. It happens. Uh, but yes, I am reading and I will have books to report on soon. Okay, now go. Yeah. So, <laughs> first off uh, was The Great American Whatever by Tim Federley. Uh, I became a big fan of Tim's with the Nate books mm-hmm. Better Off Nate and Five, Six, Seven, Eight, Nate. Uh, which dealt with a young man's attempts to get into E.T. the Musical. And somebody write E.T. the Musical, okay? Because that'd be so cool. (laughs) Great America Whatever, uh, we find this young man named Quinn, who is really been holed up in his room since his sister's death, which happened just before Christmas break in uh, school. They were a tight sibling duo. He wrote screenplays, she directed them, and their best friend Jeff was the star of their movies. And the big plan was that the two, the the duo of Quinn and Annabelle with Q&A Productions were going to go off to Hollywood and get into a screenwriting seminar for the summer and had all these plans, and then she ended up dead in a car accident. Jeff one day decides that it's time for Quinn to get out of his room and come back into the real world. And the book pretty much follows a week, uh, his birthday week, of him getting back out, finding a guy that he kind of falls for, um, finding out some secrets that hap- that were lurking with his sister. Uh, it's a pretty amazing uh, YA book, and I so much enjoyed it. Cool. Um, full review of that is over on jeffandwell.com. Uh, and so give it a read. It's not a romance. It, I call it, I guess, more general YA fiction, contemporary, uh, but really good stuff. Uh, I also finally read uh, How to Be a Normal Person by T.J. Klune. And actually, this was a listening event because I did pick up the audiobook since I had a road trip this week. Uh, and Derek McLean is the narrator. And we talked to Derek specifically about his narration of this book back on episode 36. Um, I loved this book. I think it's got to be one of my favorite reads of the year. Uh, this involves Gustavo Tiberius, and how good of a name is that? <laughs> um, who also has essentially withdrawn from the world since his father died a number of years ago. Uh, Gustavo's coming up on 30. He works in a video store that he owns. So you can imagine that that's kind of a dying thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this hipster, asexual stoner wanders into his life and turns everything upside down because... Gus is in it just compelled to rejoin like life in general because of this guy. Uh, and so Gus begins the quest to find out how to be a normal person via, of course, the internet, <laughs> where you can learn anything, and he does, sometimes to his terror. Um, TJ's constructed such an amazing book here, and Derek just nails it with his narration. I can't imagine reading this off the page, because I don't think the voices in my head would have done... Anywhere near the job that Derek did with this narration. I can't recommend both the book, and if you're into audiobooks, pick it up on audio, because it's just amazing. 
also a review on jeffandwell.com for that. Awesome. Yeah. You have a new piece of office furniture. <laughs> and the folks are like, why is that on the podcast? <laughs> yes, yes, I do. Um, last week, uh, bought a, got a standing desk. Mm-hmm. I have found, as I've been working from home for the last couple of years, that I have, I stand a lot. Um, if I'm taking phone calls for work, I'm usually taking them pacing around my, how big is this room, like 12 by 12 maybe? Yeah. <laughs> About a 12 by 12 room. And it's not because I'm anxious or anything, I just like to get up and move rather than just sit in the chair. Yeah. Um, and my work laptop tends to stay parked in a bookcase because I usually use my bigger iMac uh, just for the big screen space. But there are times when I'm on that laptop that I'm standing up in front of the bookshelf on it. So I'm like, I think a standing desk would really be good. And one weekend, I really like it. Because mm-hmm. um, I also have, I got a, a I guess a bar level chair too. It actually rises, raises and lowers. So I could sit at a normal desk height, but I just leave it up. So the whole desk just stays up. So I can sit when I want, but I think I'm standing more often than not. Um, and I enjoy that. So yeah. we're standing for the podcast now because we should, we do the podcast Which at the desk. Little, a little different, yeah. How do you feel about standing for the show? It is taking, well, I wouldn't, it's just different. It, it's a different thing. I don't think it, there's probably a noticeable quality in the, uh, a, a noticeable difference in the audio quality. I think uh, if you're watching the video our interaction is slightly different uh, simply because we're standing. I look at you more, probably. And, and I think we don't slouch as much. Uh, I know I slouched <laughs> on the stool a lot. Uh, and our, our, simply because of how our computer and our recording equipment is set up and our camera is a lot higher now. Yeah, starting with this episode, the camera is higher. Um, so You're getting a little bit of an aerial view. Getting, getting used to camera placement and standing and uh, uh, body language. I just had my arms crossed because I don't really know what to do with them. I'm just standing here like... Ugh. I'm putting mine on the desk. <laughs> I don't know. It's a, little, it's a little... It's taking a teeny bit of getting used to, um, but yeah. It's, it's different, but it's going to be good in the long run. Yeah, we'll, and, and I like we'll, it. I like it as a work surface. Yeah. Yeah. Time now for the GRL Guest Author Spotlight. We're happy to welcome Lex Chase to the podcast as part of the official 2016 GRL blog tour. Lex once heard Stephen King say in a commercial, we're all going to die. I'm just trying to make it a little more interesting. Now she's on a mission to make the world a hell of a lot more interesting, weaving tales of cinematic, sweeping adventure, and depending on how she feels that day, she sprinkles in high-speed chases, shower scenes, and more explosions than a Hollywood blockbuster. Her pride is in telling stories of men who kiss as much as they kick ass. Lex is a pop culture diva, which we love here on the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, by the way. Her DVR is constantly backlogged. She has an intense emotion about Hannibal's Hanagram and unapologetically loved the ending of Lost. She wouldn't last five minutes without technology in the event of the apocalypse and has nightmares about refusing to leave her cats behind. Welcome, Lex. Thanks for being here. Howdy, howdy. So you've got a new book coming out on August 19th called mm-hmm. Urban Fairy Tale. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, my God. So um, it is the wrap-up of the, Skil- the Screw-Up Princess and Skillful Huntsman trilogy. It is about Taylor Hatfield, who happens to be a dude and happens to be a princess, 
and he is a horrible fuck up of a human being. And he actually falls in love with this jackass redneck huntsman, Corentin Devereaux, out of New Orleans. And they go on adventure to save the world from Taylor's brother, who happens to be a very corrupt Snow White. And so the final, this is the final book in the trilogy, and it kind of comes to a head, and it's very brother against brother. And Taylor has finally been given the mission to kill his own brother and dealing with that and things of that nature, and it is very, very exciting, and um, hopefully readers will laugh, cry, and maybe curse my name a little. (laughs) What was your inspiration behind this series? Oh my god, I... Oh, it's a long story, but... um, How do I describe it? It's a weird story. So, and I actually mentioned this on a blog tour, is a friend of mine and I were watching The Bachelor. Don't judge. And it was a season with Emily, I don't know if you remember her, blonde, southern belle kind of thing, and she would say, I declare and bless your heart. Total southerner, right? So a buddy of mine says, you know, we should do a story about a princess, you know, southern princess kind of thing, you know, but make him a dude. And it's like, okay, well then make his life a mess. Make him a screw-up. Make him just suck at everything. So we decided to name him Taylor after Elizabeth Taylor, because there's a... They, a um, error that Elizabeth Taylor was in Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind took place in Atlanta. The internet lies. Who knew? <laughs> so, kind of thing. So, ends up that he um, is just this black sheep of his family. Can't do anything right. He doesn't know which princess he is. And it kind of went from there. And he had a love interest, which was the Huntsman. And He was kind of a screw-up himself, and he has a fairy godfather named um, Ringo, who is also a complete reject. You know, he we originally had the idea of he smokes and cusses and reads Pixie Playboys, and he's yay tall and kind of looks like older Jeff Bridges via Big Lebowski with big pink butterfly wings. But, uh, and it was just kind of off I went, and I wanted a road trip quest, so they go through the climax of the final book of the, um, First book, Americana Fairy Tale, takes place at the world's largest ball of twine, which is <laughs> six awesome. hours from from Kansas City, and I really want to go for reasons, but I've been vetoed on the bucket list kind of thing. Oh, I know, but it was a fun series. It was fun. I laughed. I cried. There's some really emotional gut punch moments and. It's been a long, wild trip. So, Emily, wherever you are, thank you. This would not have happened without you. So That's awesome. So. So, I get with your stories that you do these, you know, this deep, complex story that, you know, takes books to tell. Now, from your bio and the intro, we know that you've also got this thing for TV. What mm-hmm. draws you into these kind of stories? Um, I am a big TV nerd, huge, 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 but the thing is, it has to grip me, and I I want stories that make me feel something, and make me think, and make me kind of go to a different place, um, embarrassing fun fact, and people are going to scorn me forever. I am not a big reader. I suck at it. I'm really, really terrible at it, but I learn storytelling through watching TV or movies or film because it's kind of like, I can read a fight scene in a book, 
And you can tell me what a kick and a punch is, but I'm not going to know what it is unless I see it and the bones cracking and the explosions and the colors and, you know, facial expressions and kind of like um, one thing I always talk about in Lost is uh, the guy who plays Jack Shepard, Matthew Fox, has a certain gesture he makes when he's upset. He does this, like, you know, head twitch thing. And, you know, people are like, oh, yes, that. But um, I love shows that make me think and you know I when I was a, a part of the lost fandom and the fandom never really dies is we had the theories and the message boards and you know the symbolism of this color means this and this symbol means that and the Dharma Initiative logo is about this and you know it's it's very I love intelligence reality TV is stupid it's popcorn for the brain and if I'm gonna watch popcorn for the brain I'm gonna be on my phone I'm going to be on Twitter. I want stuff that's appointment television, and I have to sit and pay attention. And then when it's over, I'm like, what the hell just happened? You know, I grew up on Twin Peaks, Wild Palms, Max Headroom. That was my jam. Oh, so, Max Headroom. Yeah. Remember Max Headroom? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I was, I was yay high, but, you know, five minutes in the future, that was my jam. That was my thing. So, yeah. Now, you categorize Lost as your all-time favorite show. Yes. And you've talked a little bit about it there, but what was it about it? The people or the the huge mythology that was going on there? Or? For me, it was, it was actually the philosophy of all things. It was the deep thinker show kind of thing. It was one of those, it was one of those, you had to get on the ground floor to you had to watch from episode one or if you just kind of like oh i'll join in on season three i have no idea what's going on you will not it was one of those shows that you had to be there you had to know what was going on um it was how there was these really deep complex messages yet wrapped up in this sci-fi spec fic world like you had the man of faith and the man of science you had you know john locke and you had jack shepherd you know who are warring with each other kind of thing where locke was like i looked in the eye of this island and it was beautiful and jack's like you're full of shit we are in a plane crash we had trauma you're weird so, you know, but Locke, you know, he was, he, he went from cool to creepy, you know, but he was pretty interesting. Um, but also he's named after John Locke, the philosopher, the naturalist guy. And then you have my, my dearest favorite character is Desmond Hume, who is named after David Hume, which is one of my favorite philosophers. I'm a nerd. I'm just a nerd for philosophy, but you know, and, um, you have these stories of how these characters, you know, you meet them first off. They're like, they survived this trauma together. They have this first impression of each other. But then you get into their stories and their backstory and realize, oh, oh shit, the, these guys are really not what they seem. And, you know, you take all these first impressions of people and, like, you, you, you know, kind of, okay, I'm trapped on this island with this person that may or may not kill me. So what do I do about that? And then you get into things where this island is really not what it seems. You know, you have the smoke monster, which what the hell was that? Of course, now we know. Spoiler. But um, I will never tell. I know the, the, the grace period has passed. You should all know this by now. But, you know, you have things like the Dharma Initiative, like, who the hell are those people? And then you have the others, but the others were the Dharma Initiative, but what the hell is that? You know, it was all a big psychological experiment and how they incorporated things like the Skinner Box, 
which is another psychological experiment kind of thing, which anyone at GML can come up to me and ask me, and their eyes will probably glaze, and I'll be like, oh my god. <laughs> so, um, but I loved how I, I was one of those people that uh, Damon Lindelof gave an interview saying, 25% of you will love the ending, 75% of you will absolutely despise it. I loved it. I will take anyone on the carpet over it. I loved it. And I, I, I'm shaking thinking about it, <laughs> you know, but um, it was such, it was poetic. It wasn't about the destination. It was about this journey you went with these people mm-hmm. kind of thing. And in your way, yourself is forever changed. And my claim to nerdydom with Lost of my my uh, very strong tie to the fandom is a very, very long time ago, I drew the very first um, Yaoi comic, slash comic, but Lost between Sawyer and Saeed. And I can point to you where it exists on the internet, um, but I drew the very first comic of that to exist, and yes, stuff happened in it, and um, the actual producers of the show found it on the internet. And uh, they contacted me, and I thought, oh shit, am I getting sued? And they go, no, we want to talk to you. We want to interview you for one of the bonus features on season two. Oh, wow. So I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm about 80 pounds heavier with really terrible hair, but there I am, dorking out. So, yeah, it was. I'm, I'm an internet celebrity. Send, send me the link to that. We'll put it in the show notes so people can go find it. Oh my god, it's oh my art so bad then, but it's fun. It's fun. So yeah, I totally will. I actually have a signed copy from Josh Holloway. I sent it to him. Nice. I did. I did. I did. I did. It's kind of just one of those things. So swinging back to your writing, what's up next for you now that you've got Urban Fairy Tale out? Oh god, what is up next for me? <laughs> I actually have a crap ton of stuff coming out um, this winter. I'm in a Weird West anthology with uh, C.S. Poe, Kim Fielding, a um, bunch of other awesome people. Um, I can't describe it. Um, it's a medicine seller, like a like a charlatan, and uh, he runs into his lost love, but uh, he put his lost love in the ground years ago, so what's up with that? Um, I also have a contemporary coming out of States of Love. It is called The Unlikely Prospect. And it is a love story between a Maine lobster man and a first grade teacher. And I'm actually from Maine myself, so Maine pride. Um, And then what else do I have? I have lots of stuff. I can't think of it. Um, But I think that about covers it. Next in the works, I'm currently writing a crazy thing I had in my head for 11 years called Grow. It is a dystopian about, well, flower people. Uh, it is basically um, a cataclysm had struck the U.S., basically taking out Canada, South America, and the U.S. Um, humankind has basically, you know, simultaneously gone extinct. Um, and basically people re-evolved, only they're not people anymore. Um, they look humanoid like you and I, but they are actually part plant, and they're called blooms, and basically all of Europe and every else of the world, all their military forces are combining about, what the fuck do we do about this? I don't know. So, my main guy is a dude named Iris, who is an Iris, um, and actually it's about the language of flowers, so the flower they're named after is what they do. So, Iris is flower of inspiration, he's going to inspire a revolution, so... It's going to be fun and exciting and explosions and 
flower people. Just just go with it. Interesting. Okay. So, what are you looking forward to in Kansas City this year? Uh, not the largest ball twine. I miss it. <laughs> I want to go. Um, I'm looking forward to reconnecting with readers. I didn't go to San Diego last year because I'm poor and can't afford it. Please buy my books. Um, but, um, my mother's going with me and, uh, she actually goes every year when we go and she has a good time. Um, I have a friend coming with me. It's her first time. She's going to be cosplaying my, my, my boys and my girls for my stories. So we're going to have fun with that. Oh, that's cool. It's going to be cool. So she's probably going to be the only cosplayer there, but we're, we're going to figure it out. And people are like, were you here yesterday? Cause she looks completely different in her outfits and stuff. And, um, I'm just looking forward to the fun and actually, if, if anyone's listening who plays Pokemon Go, I'm organizing an unofficial little meetup on the side so we can go hunt imaginary creatures together. I'm, I'm level 19, by the way. I'm very proud of level 19. My mother is level 20, chasing the dream. So, <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, Pokemon Go, Team Mystic. Team Mystic. So. Cool. Anyhow. And what's the so. best way for everyone to keep up with you online? Oh, God. I'm everywhere. Well, you can follow my blog at LexChase.com. You can find me on my personal Facebook at LXChase. Um, you can do my author page at LexChase. Um, and, and Twitter is, you know, Lex underscore Chase. And then follow me on Instagram, actually. I love Instagram. I'm a very photo person, which is, you know, follow me at LexAChase on Instagram. Please like my photos. My photos are awesome. Oh, that sounded so egotistical. <laughs> Uh, we look forward to seeing you in Kansas City and checking out your cosplayer. That's going to be very cool. It's going to be cool. It's going to be righteous. You can follow the GRL blog tour by going to gayromlit.com slash 2016 blog tour. The Big Gay Fiction Podcast has teamed up with the authors that we're hosting on the GRL blog tour to give away a 7-inch fire tablet that will be loaded with books from those authors, as well as some bonus books from myself and a package of books from Wild City Press featuring the authors of theirs who will be attending GRL. See the Rafflecopter on episode 45 show notes to enter. The big GRL blog tour giveaway runs through Sunday, October 23rd, and you'll find a link on the show notes page to all the participating authors as well. And we thank them for joining us on that giveaway. Mm -hmm. So, we're excited to welcome back Joanna Penn for the second part of her interview. This time, we're going to be talking more about uh, running an author business and really kind of playing things uh, for the long game. That yeah. it's not all about this book release and this book you're writing it's about you, the books that you're writing in the future it's about your backlist it's about author mindset around all that mm -hmm. and how you don't have to be so daunted by the author business part of it because you can really start simply and work your way up exactly into what you need to yes. have for that business yes so let's go listen to joanna you mentioned obviously the the long the long goal the long term and, and it, it's a good shifting point to talk about author entrepreneur a little bit. The the business for authors book when it came out, I listened to it in early. It I guess it was late twenty thirteen. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> um, and the next year, like coming into the next year, it really turned my mindset. And it's like this writing thing should no longer be a hobby. Mm. It's what I want to do. And while I can't give up my day job yet. It should become this side business, this business that I grow, that has a plan, that has a schedule. 
At what point should authors consider, you know, making that shift to author entrepreneur? And how do you really know when it's right for you to do that? Mm. Oh, I'm so pleased. Thank you so much. I'm really glad that that book had an impact. Um, And and it's funny because it, it and what's interesting, and this is a big point, it hasn't sold that much. And I think uh, what's interesting, the reason I wrote How to Make a Living with Your Writing is uh, literally because of the title. So Business for Authors, How to Be an Author Entrepreneur is, is quite thick, right? It's a full length book. Um, but what, what seems to be interesting is most people don't want to run a business. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I wrote a um, shorter version, How to Make a Living in Your Writing, which sounds like gangbusters. And it is a smaller, much, much thinner, smaller version with much of the same um, information, but it kind of done in a much lighter way. So what what's interesting with what you're saying is you found that book at a time when you were kind of ready for it. What I think is that if you take the, and this is the same again with any career, right? So um, I left uh, IT consulting and some of my friends are now partners in consulting firms. You know, there are people who became lawyers out of university and end up partners in law firms. But there are lots of people who fall out along the way. Same thing with being a writer. I think a lot of people will write, well, a lot of people will say they want to write and never write. A lot of people will write one book. When you get to three books, I think that's when you actually start to think the que- you know, about the questions you're thinking. So how many books did you have when you started considering that? I believe I was writing the third novel. Yeah. And also I'd had several shorts out. Yeah. See, I think three is the magic number um, <laughs> because if you, you know, you, if you write one book, good on you, you've written a book, but then you realize, oh, I have to write more in order to make any money. And also, you know, I just want to try it again. If you write three, I think that you understand a lot more how to write a book. And also, you've either got the taste for it or you haven't. <laughs> so a lot of people will disappear at three, I think. Two or three books, a lot of them will go away because it's hard. This is not an easy business. Um, you know, it's the same as any other creative work. Um, nobody guarantees you any money. So you kind of have to decide, are you doing it because you truly, truly love it and because it suits you as a person? And as we've discussed, you know, I'm an introvert like most writers. Um, I like being on my own. I don't like talking to people. Therefore, being a writer, except for you guys, obviously, <laughs> being a writer is the best career for me, someone like me. So I got the bug. And I think if you get the bug, then you start thinking, especially if you're in a a job that you don't enjoy, then you start thinking, how can I do this more seriously? And that's when you should start thinking about a business, a business. And when we say a business, we don't necessarily mean in corporation. Um, It just means, for example, setting up a separate bank account. So I know in the US, I did an interview with Helen Sedwick, and her book legal handbook for authors or something like that for self publishing. The self-publisher's legal handbook, I think it is, um, that has a whole lot of stuff on when you, you know, what type of structure you should have and the tax stuff for the US. But I think even if you have a separate bank account, you can start offsetting your costs against your tax paid and the little bit of income you make will go into that bank account. And, you, and that in itself means you're taking things more seriously and it's not just a hobby. Um, so I, I think after three books, you pretty much will start 
making that decision. And then as time goes on, I think I definitely think you should not give up your day job unless you have uh, at least six months income saved. Um, I had six months when I left and I also had uh, over a thousand, like a thousand dollars a month, which isn't that much money, obviously, but I had six months income in the bank to give myself time to kind of build things up. Plus I have the two businesses, fiction and nonfiction and a whole load more stuff. So I think the leaving the day job to go full time, you really do need to be very sure and have a lot more, you know, backlist behind you. Don't give up your job on the first, like I think we've seen it in the romance space. There's a whole ton of people who left their jobs like a couple of years ago, 2013 or something you know big year KDP select came in people making loads of cash and many of them have gone back to day jobs because that income has dropped um so you it needs to be a sustainable income before you shift that far but certainly at three books you should probably know whether you enjoy this enough to know whether you're going to carry on and the the much like the mindset book, the, the thing about business for authors, while it is a larger book by far mm. than mindset, you still break it down chunk by chunk, bit by bit, and make it possible for to essentially pick, well, I, I need to do this, this, and this now, and perhaps later I come back and become the, co- the corporation. Or, mm. Because it's very much how I started. It was, I set up a separate bank account, like the day after New Year's Day, like whatever the next bank day was, <laughs> set up the bank account, started to make a schedule. The schedule may move because there's still a day job that can impact me in ways that I can't mm. forecast. Mm. But, you know, there's there's a pattern to it. And maybe, fingers crossed, by 2020, the backlist is enough that maybe I work less or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, and I think um, this is why I reread Turning Pro by Stephen Pressfield several times a year, because I think this idea of turning pro, you know, you turned pro the day you set up that bank account, really, because you were basically saying, I am taking this seriously enough. Um, You know, everyone has hobbies that they spend money on out of their own bank accounts. And for writing for most people is a hobby and or a creative pursuit. Um, But it's very, very different when you take it seriously. And Turning Pro is a process. You know, the reason I keep rereading that book is because I'm certainly a professional author. Absolutely. But every time I read that book, I go, I don't have a professional attitude about that. Like comparisonitis is a really big issue with me. And that's why I keep reading Turning Pro because um, he he says something like, you know, the amateur compares themselves to others. And I'm like, oh, I just failed that one. I'm an amateur. (laughs) You know, the professional does it it this way. So for me, I think this is, um, uh, you know, you have to keep keep investing in yourself, investing in the process of becoming, well, of becoming, you know, that is the thing. I mean, all of this is a a journey and that's what's so brilliant. What I love, love, love about being an author is we can literally be learning new things up until the day we die. And, you know, P.D. James, uh, Phyllis, who was amazing author, died at, I think, 96. And one of her, I saw her speak at about age 94 or something. And she said her biggest fear was dying with an uncompleted manuscript. (laughs) So when she did die a couple of years ago now, I was like, oh, God, I hope she didn't. I hope she finished (laughs) a draft of whatever it was, you know, because I think she had a fear of them 
publishing whatever her unfinished book was. You know what they did with Michael Crichton, which I was so angry about because that book Micro, the last one he had, he only had that in draft and it reads like crap. You know, (laughs) it really is. So anyway, um, so the point is, you know, we have this for a lot. We're going to do this for a long time. Hopefully, if you love it, why not do it till you die? Um, And I fully expect to be very wealthy like Stephen King and James Patterson and you know Nora Roberts those authors who have a massive backlist are wealthy because the intellectual property assets will make you money over the long term but I'm sure you know you guys are aware it's the authors who have let's say 30 books 50 books who are making seven figures and more you know, the eight-figure authors, you know, who we know in the romance space have a lot of books. So this is the thing for me. And obviously, it's not just about the money. But if it is partly about the money when you're turning professional, then you want to see where that line is. Um, so when I met uh, Bella Andre and Liliana Hart and, you know, Jacinda Wilder and people like that, I remember meeting them a couple of years ago. And I went, Do you know what? They're, they're brilliant, but they're nothing special. They are just committed authors who love what they do, who have written their socks off and have built this, you know, multi-million dollar business uh, from their books. And uh, I turned a bit more pro that day when I realized that the size of your backlist is one of the biggest things uh, in terms of that sustainable income. Because then, hey, even if each of your books only sells 10 books a month, you're doing really, really well. And I point people also in the direction of Dean Wesley Smith mm-hmm. and Christine Catherine Rush, who are like my my mentors. I'm like, I worship them. Um, because they, again, they've been in the business 40 years. They have, I think, over 500, 600 books between them. And none of, you know, and they get criticized a lot because they're not mega bestsellers, but it doesn't matter right. because <laughs> they have been mega bestsellers. They've won loads of rewards, but basically they have this massive backlist. So uh, anyway, I hope that's encouraging. Yeah, yeah. Joanna, I wanted to circle back to something really quick. Earlier you were talking about being forward thinking and uh, about having you know multiple books and multiple streams of income. And I think for maybe some of the authors who who are listening to this right now, that may have gotten them really excited and they felt really gung-ho and it's like, yeah, that's exactly what I need to do. But on the other hand, there may be some authors who um, are terrified of that and it seems incredibly overwhelming. Do Mm. you think that forward-thinking mindset is a prerequisite to success? Um, like we were just talking about, you know, uh, people who are in this for the long haul and have a, a massive, essentially, backlist. Do you think being enthusiastic about the future uh, is is one of the most important things about mindset and success, hopefully? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think... Uh, obviously there are no rules and what's interesting with publishing and what the publishing industry count on are these unicorn books Mm. um you know that come out of nowhere like girl on a train this year has been or the last year whatever has been the the book um that has just gone nuts you know and everyone was like everyone's reading that does anyone remember her name or will anyone read her next book i don't know um you know so but that's an example of a and hugh howie to some extent and and he he will say it you know he with wool you can't 
can't you can't replicate the success of a unicorn book. You can't do a J.K. Rowling. Uh, so so when I think it, this partly comes down to definition of success, mm. um, which I think is super important for anyone to think about. So if your definition of success is holding your book in your hand, awesome. Don't think about t- ten years in the future. Think about finishing the book, um, think about publishing it however you want to publish it. But what, So that's a goal you can achieve and you can say, I am successful, I am holding my book in my hand, even if it sells five copies or you give it to your mum or whatever. Um, if your definition of success, um, which for me was leaving my day job, making a six-figure income, you know, hiring my husband out of his job, which I did last year, which was like a big, you know, these definitions of success are much, are much bigger. I certainly didn't think of those things when I wrote my first novel back in, you know, 2011. I was not thinking that I would be able to make so much of a career in writing. Certainly, I never thought that. Um, but that's because this is a journey. So you have to have appropriate definitions of success as you move up the scale as such. Um, I'm also one of those uh, goal sort of goal setting and achieving type of personalities I always have to have a goal and I know not everybody's like that so yeah of course chill out write a book do what you like (laughs) there's no worries what I get though is I get emails from people for example and this is the extreme example but you you know I probably get three emails a week I write poetry how can I make a six-figure income it's like well, mate, it, it's got nothing to do with your poetry, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, I don't think, well, unless you're a rapper, like I think rappers are poets, <laughs> they do pretty well. But most people writing poetry cannot make a six figure income from poetry. I would just say, you know, but, and also it's like, how can I have um, Andy Weir success? How can I write The Martian? I, you can't do that either because that's, you know, that's the luck part of the publishing industry. So when I thought about my definition of success, which, you know, which is having a good life and, you know, making enough money that I can travel and do the things I want to do, look after my family, that type of thing. What, what can you do that you are in control of? And the only thing there is developing a backlist. So I, you know, if you calculate, if you do the word count calculation on how many words you need to write a book, how many books you need to make that say start with a hundred dollars a month. Um, then how many books do you need to make a thousand dollars a month? And then how many books do you need to make ten thousand dollars a month? Which for most people they'd be pretty happy with, right? If you make ten thousand dollars a month. Yeah. So but it's just a matter of doing the sums because hopefully, I mean, you know, uh, and or even if you're right at the beginning, make ten ten dollars a month right so and I went through this recently with a friend of mine and she'd you know she'd just written her first book and she just got I think it was about seven uh seven pounds which is about ten dollars right except the pound's really weak right now (laughs) so maybe twelve dollars so she got her first seven pounds in her bank account and she was like this is really disappointing (laughs) what can I do with with seven pounds or twelve dollars you know and I'm like but that's where we all start isn't it you know, most of our first um, payments as an indie are very, very small. Um, but then, or you, if, if you can make $10, then you can make $100. And if you can make $100, you can make $1,000 and so on. It's just a matter of, um, you know, creating that. And that's what's so exciting. Um, those intellectual property assets are the things that will keep paying over time. So no, I don't think it's, 
necessary to have the long-term thinking unless your stated definition of success is to make a living this way. I think you make a really good point about your own individual definition of success and how that may change over time uh, mm. and not succumbing to comparisonitis. You know, uh, you know, you get your royalty statement one month and you're stamping your feet because you're not making Andy Weir money. Uh, and you know what? You're not Andy Weir. So, of course, you're not making his money. You you have to have your own uh, uh, realistic definition of success. I think that's a, a, a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, I mean, I like to talk about George R. R. Martin as well, because the guy's been writing fantasy for how blooming long? I mean, a long, long time. And and uh, he he's done loads of things and he's had his fame in a tiny niche, right? But who could have guessed that George R. R. Martin and Game of Thrones would be like the biggest thing? And I love it. I absolutely, I think it's brilliant. And it's just, and I read his books now. But you know, I've spent most of my life not never hearing of George R. R. Martin, and now suddenly right. here yeah. he is. He's it's like he's exploded onto the scene, but he hasn't. He's been around for a really, really long time, yeah. just writing and writing and writing, and then something happens. I don't know. We get into a point in the world where the technology enables us to make really good TV, and and there it happens. So this is the other thing about fiction, which is so awesome. You don't know what's going to happen with those books, so month one like my London Psychic trilogy I really love those books like I think they're great but they sell a lot less than my arcane action adventure and that's partly because they're darker and they're about psychics although I noticed psychic romance does really well so I might have to <laughs> spin that but this is psychic mystery stroke crime um so you know which doesn't actually do that well so but the point is those books could suddenly, something might happen in 10 years, 20 years time, those books suddenly might take off and I make, I make some money from them. So this is the thing, whenever we create something, I think it's like Anne Rice, Anne Rice, the vampire lady, you know, she's, she says she's made money three times with vampires you know, back in the 70s and then when Twilight came out and now it's all happening again, you know, these things come around again. So don't worry too much, just create things and over time they may find their place in the world. Mm-hmm. That's really good advice. That's that's almost the pull quote for me, from, <laughs> perhaps from this. Uh, what do you think is the most difficult part in adopting the entrepreneur mindset? Is it just that big word entrepreneur that you're like taking this to a different level or something else? Yeah, I think it's that. And also um, I realized that this is very overwhelming. Like I know some people listening will be like, what is she talking about? You know, intellectual property assets. It's just a book. (laughs) And I think, you know, we all understand that we have to learn the writing craft you know, we all understand that when we become writers and we invest in learning the craft, then we discover we have to learn about self-publishing if we're going to do that. And then we have to learn about marketing, which most of us never thought we would have to learn about, right? I mean, why do suddenly we we become experts in marketing? Uh, And this is just another level of learning. So I think the overwhelm is often... I now have to learn something new, which is running a business. And this is the truth of it. You know, if you want to go as far as doing this full time, you have to sort out your taxes, you have to work with an accountant, you have to, you know, do all these different things that perhaps you never thought you would have to do. Um, And to be fair, if you get a good 
publishing contract, you should also do the same thing. So it doesn't matter how you publish. Um, but I think that is probably the biggest hurdle for people is it's hot. There's some new language. There's new things to learn. Um, but all I would say to people is it's just the same as learning to self-publish or learning to write a book. You know, once like we, we know, right, once you self-publish once or twice, you pretty much don't have an issue next time. Publishing is not a big deal. The big deal is learning to be a better writer, learning how to market, which is a, a bigger thing and learning how to run a business. You know, I do it with my eyes closed now. So, but I had to learn those skills. So I think it's just, it can be overwhelming at the beginning as people are like, ah, I just have enough to do just writing. Why do I have to do all this other stuff? But yeah, you, you, if you want to, and also I would say business is super creative and, you know, you're creating wealth. You, you potentially creating work for other people. You know, I work with 12 contractors, so I'm creating value in their lives as well as creating value in readers' lives and my own life. So it's a very creative thing. Now, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give Joanna from 10 years ago when this was all starting out? Uh, well, I think the biggest thing that happened to me 10 years ago uh, is what I still stand by, which is I read a book called The Success Principles by Jack Canfield, which is a brilliant book. And uh, the very first thing says, take 100% uh, responsibility for your life. And what, and I, that's when I sort of had a big mindset shift and it was like, oh, you, you mean I'm in a job I hate because I chose to be in a job I hate over these small decisions over time, I end up here. Um, and I realized that in order to create my future, I had to start taking different choices, making different choices every day. So for example, are you going to get up at 5.30 a.m. and write or are you going to stay in bed? for another hour and then if you stay in bed you don't have any time to write today because you have to go to your day job or um you know we made choices like that and so I think looking back now I would kind of I would just say to myself back then this is the right this is the right journey you know I I think I felt for years that I you know I was climbing the ladder but it was the classic the ladder's up against the wrong wall <laughs> and this time, you know, I've been building this, um, you know, and just so people know, I, from 2006 to 2011, I was working, uh, you know, the day job and doing this type of stuff in the evenings, the mornings, the weekends, holiday, any, any time. I only went full time in 2011. And so I would say to myself, don't worry, this is the right wall this time. And there will come a point when what you're planning for actually will happen. And I, th and I hope that's a big um, thing for people. And I often say, think, and since we're in Olympic year, right, the Olympics is here, I often say to people, think about the Olympic time periods, because often one year is not enough to measure your growth. So think about where you were, so it's 2016, so 2012 was the London Olympics, right? So think of, and often people can remember where they were during the Olympics because you're just on the TV and stuff. So think about where you were in 2012. Um, you know, what, how many books did you have? What were you doing in terms of your writing? What did you know in terms of book marketing? Did you know anything, you know? Uh, and then I think uh, back to 2008, which was um, the Beijing Olympics. I had never written a novel. I never even thought I could write fiction. Um, you know, I, 
I was not making, I was making about $10 a month, uh, you know, with my writing. I, I, oh, in fact, I hadn't even started the creative pen in July, 2008. So many things that didn't exist for me two Olympic periods ago. And so now if you think, wow, okay, I've come a long way if you think about the Olympic period. So I hope that helps people sort of put that, that time in perspective. Tell everyone where they can find you online. Yes, so um, for writers, I'm at thecreativepen.com and pen with a double N and I have a podcast, the Creative Pen Podcast and uh, obviously books and courses and you can find it all there and there's the free author 2.0 blueprint which is kind of answers all the questions that most people have first time around um, and my fiction is at jfpen.com and that's F for Francis. Uh, if people like thrillers and uh, crime and uh, books like that, although maybe your listeners <laughs> like, like more romance, I don't really have much romance any romance <laughs> at all and i'm on twitter at the creative pen uh, if anyone has any questions awesome joanna thank you so much for joining us i, I hope our audience gets a lot out of this because it was really great information oh thanks so much for having me guys thank you once again to joanna penn for coming on the show and sharing some of her uh expertise in the author business world <laughs> yeah absolutely we hope the listeners you know got some good stuff out of that we learned a lot just by talking to her for yes. the hour that we did yes we did um definitely check out her podcast if you're an author her weekly show is excellent she's also doing uh facebook live events seemingly once every couple weeks lately uh so check out her facebook page at the at, at slash the creative pen we'll link to that in the show notes because um, she gives you the opportunity to ask questions on that, so you get a little one-on-one Joanna time with that as well. Mm -hmm. So what's coming up next week? Well, next week we have C.S. Poe. She's here as part of the 2016 GRL blog tour. And also, A.J. Truman will be here to talk about his Browerton University series. It's going to be great. Episode 46 next week. Have a good one, everybody. Thank you for listening to Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. New episodes are available every Monday at iTunes and other major podcast outlets. While there, subscribe to the show and please consider leaving a review. For detailed show notes, links, and to sign up for the monthly newsletter, visit BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Hold up. 